0: Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us and challenge us, that you would help us become more like your son, Jesus. Give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear, but mostly, Lord, give us lives that can be changed. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. Help us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, There's a discussion in the book, The Power of Strangers, regarding two different types of ape. The first is the chimpanzee, the second is the bonobo. These two apes are almost genetically identical, never mind the fact that they're also almost identical to us as well, that's a whole different thing. Uh, But these two different apes have grown very different ideas about strangers the first chimpanzees are incredibly hostile to strangers to the point where when you're introducing a new chimp into a community of chimps if you don't work through many slow step by step introductory introductions there's a good chance the stranger will be killed by the community Chimpanzees are xenophobic. They have a dislike, distrust, and prejudice against strangers. Bonobos, on the other hand, are xenophilic, meaning that they actually prefer the company of strangers over members of their own group. They are open, they are trusting, they are generous, even affectionate towards strangers. If a bonobo has an extra banana, and on one side is a friend, and on the other side is a stranger, they will take the extra banana, not to the friend, but to the stranger. So so chimps will attack or retreat strangers. Bonobos will meet with and share with the stranger. The obvious question is why? Why are these two apes so different? How do you explain those differences? Well, at some point as the land was changing, some of their shared common ancestors ended up on opposite sides of the mostly uncrossable Congo River. The first ended up on the side that had also gorillas, which competed for many of the same resources and who would fight for those resources. The other group ended up on the other side of the Congo, and there were no gorillas. And therefore, they had the land and those resources pretty much to themselves. In other words, for the one, life was harder. Life was more competitive. Life was more scary. Life was more solitary. And aggression and fear became the way to survive. And so they learned to fear the stranger. For the other, life was easier, more communal. They learned to be more kind, more trusting, more playful, more open. They learned to trust the stranger. For the first, a stranger was a potential threat. For the second, a stranger was a potential ally. And the first group evolved into chimps and the second into bonobos. In other words, chimps learned to be fearful of and hostile towards strangers. And bonobos didn't learn to fear strangers. And the species evolved accordingly. These differences somehow got baked in. And they changed these two groups socially, mentally, even physically. So here's the thing. I wonder, what about us? Have we learned to be too fearful or aggressive or distrustful towards strangers? And what does that do in us? What does that do in the stranger? What does that do to our communities? Have we learned to overly fear the stranger? Because if we have, this can simply always be making things worse and worse and worse. Because when we learn to be afraid, we we keep ourselves away from strangers, which only serves to increase our separation, which increases our differences and our divisions, which increases the depth and the amount of the strangeness of strangers, which in turn makes us more afraid, which then causes us to increase the distance, make them more different. And then it increases the amount, the differences, and then it makes us more afraid. And we tell ourselves that that's what it takes to keep us safe. Because, of course, everyone knows strangers are dangerous. And yet, what if they're not? At least not as much as we think. The reality is that when it comes to the statistics that involve all horrible things, fatalities, assault, all these terrible, terrible things, the chances of the evil coming from a stranger is actually drastically less than it coming from someone the victim knows. In other words, as much as we want to always conclude that the stranger is always the ultimate source of all danger, it's just not true. Surprisingly, and yet also statistically, you are far more in danger from people you know than people you don't. And again, that's not to say that there's no danger in the stranger. If you welcome a chimp in, there's gonna be violence. But it is to say that we don't need to be as afraid as we are. Which therefore begs the question how do we go the other way? How do we learn to not be so afraid? How do we learn to trust or help or even welcome in? The stranger. And more than that, should we be the kind of people who live differently like that? Are we a people who are called to break the cycle, as it were? Could we be the kind of people who welcome in the stranger? While we think about that, let me tell you where we've been and where we're heading. Two weeks ago, we began this new series exploring the idea of the stranger, partly because this image of the stranger is all throughout the Bible, and partly because I think this is something that we, and everyone else, struggles with. And so we started by examining the idea how we treat and think about strangers probably reflects more about us than it does the stranger. In fact, in many ways, our treatment of strangers becomes a barometer of our own beliefs. Because notice, if we believe that the world is scary, we're going to treat all strangers with fear and apprehension. If you believe that the resources are scarce, it's going to be impossible, let alone practical, to be generous with a stranger. And yet, if you believe that God has loved us even when we were strangers, maybe, just maybe, that might help us be able to show kindness to, of all people, the strangers. And again, it's not to say any of this is easy, because of course it's not. The stranger is the unknown. And yet that's why our response to them can be so revealing for us. That person is a stranger. That makes me feel this way. Why? Why? I don't even know, I, I literally don't know them, that, that's, that's why they're a stranger, that's, that's part of the definition. So I know nothing about them and I'm having this response, why? What does that say about my beliefs, about who I am? Last week then, we went to the other side of the equation. What does it mean for us to be and feel like the stranger? Because being a stranger can give us a lens through which we can see ourselves and our world and maybe even God more clearly. Because when we are are a stranger, our needs are laid a little bit more bare because we don't have our own community. We're in the midst of those other people. We become a little bit more humble when we are feeling like a stranger. And maybe we're even humble enough that we can learn something. Today, we're putting all of these pieces together with a very odd example before we then kind of see how we find the same theme all throughout the Bible. So if you would, I would encourage you and invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 19 verse 1. While you're turning there, I'm going to apologize for going so out of order in this series. I like to normally kind of work my way through these passages chronologically. That's just not how this series fell out. So next week, we're actually going to be looking at the passage right before this passage. But for some reason, this made more sense in in laying the series out. That said, our passage is going to take place in the time of Abraham, his nephew, Lot, has moved a little ways off, settled near Sodom and Gomorrah, and in many ways, Abraham and Lot are still very much strangers in this land. I will also add, this is one of those passages in the Bible that seems kind of inappropriate. I'm going to try and brush over that part real, real fast today. Uh, You can read it at your leisure. There's a lot of places in the Bible that are like that. Uh, But how I want us listening to this passage is in light of the stranger. So let's see what happens, and let's see how Lot responds to the strangers. Genesis 19, verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all of the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under, my, under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner. Now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to be married to his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife and your daughters who are here or you will be swept away when the city is punished." When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. Amen. If you know the rest of the story, you know that this is not going to go well for Sodom and Gomorrah. That being said, let us look back at this strange passage in light of strangers. Because our passage begins with two strangers showing up in town. And Lot is there. He's hanging out, maybe at a nice little cafe, Uh, people watching, maybe enjoying a nice drink of whatever. Uh, And he sees these two visitors show up, realizes that they're not from around here, that they don't belong, recognizes that they're strangers. And so what does he do? Obviously, he invites them into his home to eat a meal with them and stay the night with his young family which seems, to our ears, quite strange. Picture yourself in his shoes. You're, you're there in town center. You see some, someone you recognize as a stranger, so someone who looks strange enough that you're like, that guy's weird. And, and then the next thought that goes through your head is, come, friend, join me at my house. Stay the night. You look like you're traveling through town. Let me make you a nice dinner. It's weird. What's also acknowledged that Lot isn't naive about the dangers of strangers. He lives in Sodom and Gomorrah, names that are synonymous with evil. Luckily, socially, the strangers give him an out. Eh, we'll just stay here. We're fine. Don't worry about us. But Lot keeps at it. Again, you're there in, in South Lake Town Center, you say, hey, stranger. Come to my house and save the night. And the stranger says, ah, I'm good. I already have plans. And you think, <laughs> and, you, and you let it drop. That's not what Lot does. He insists strongly that they come. Eventually, they relent. They come in and, and become not just strangers, but now guests. Lot prepares a meal for them, bakes bread for them, shows them overwhelming hospitality. And then things get dark. Everyone in town shows up and wants to do terrible things to the strangers. And Lot keeps them back. Even offering his own family members up as sacrifice. Which is troubling to say the least. Every part of this passage is troubling to say the least. But what I find fascinating is that Lot puts the welfare of these strangers, now guests, ahead of the welfare of his own family. That's odd. Lot practices extreme hospitality to strangers. Now, frankly, he's learned some of this from Abraham. We're going to see that next week. But the obvious question that I think we have to ask is why? Why would you do that? And interestingly, the only answer that I can glean from our passage beyond it just seems like it's probably the right thing to do is that Lot knows what it's like to be a stranger. You'll notice what the people say about him when they're angry. This fellow came to us as a foreigner, and now he wants to sit as a judge. In other words, maybe the reason that Lot treats strangers so differently is that he has been, and even still is, a stranger. So, he knows what it's like. But I think there's more here, because there's a piece of this that is found all throughout the Scriptures, and it may help us understand who Lot is trying to be and who we are to become. In many ways, this is part of why we're studying all this. This is an odd series, to say the least. But, but there's this theme that runs all throughout the Bible in passages like this, in commandments, in teachings, and much more. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's everywhere. And so as we try to understand the mystery of our passage, why does Lot treat strangers like this, maybe it's helpful to, for us to simply recognize the Bible's fascination with strangers. And so what I want us to do in kind of our remaining time Is I want us to read three more very short passages and see if we can tie some of that together. And then I want us to read three more passages and then see if we can't tie the whole thing back to our lives. And so these are three Old Testament passages from Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. So hear this uh, and listen for the word stranger, or as we talked about last week, sometimes they replace the word stranger with foreigner. So you're going to hear one or the other in these three passages. The first is from Exodus chapter 23, verses 9 through 12. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners, because you were foreigners in Egypt. For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year let the land lie unplowed and unused, then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed." On to Leviticus chapter 19 verses 33 through 34 When a foreigner resides among you in your land do not mistreat them The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born Love them as yourself for you were foreigners in Egypt I am the Lord your God Last one Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 18 through 19 He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Did you catch all that? Did you hear how crazy that sounds? Love the stranger, because you have been the stranger. It doesn't say be kind to the stranger. It doesn't say say hi to the stranger. It doesn't say be friendly with strangers. The word here is love the stranger. I mean, here's the thing. We know the Bible says love each other. That, that seems like something a Bible would say. And, it, and we know that it says love your neighbor. Again, that seems like a wise thing. There's always that, those weird little passages. Every once in a while it says love your enemy, and that's just weird. It's in there, but it's, that's hard. We'll talk about that some other time. But ironically, the hardest part these days for I think most of us is this one. Love the stranger. What's that about? And yet, these passages also give us the reason. Because you know what it's like to be a foreigner. Because you know what it's like to be the stranger. Because you know what it's like to not belong. Apparently, this was pretty common. Though when you think about it, when you think about the the story of the Bible, almost every single person in the Bible has the experience of being a stranger. I mean, just quick, quick overview. Noah felt like a stranger. Why are you building the boat? It's not going to rain. Abraham and Sarah were strangers. We'll see that next week. Isaac and Jacob felt like strangers. Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, felt like a stranger. Moses we talked about a couple weeks ago. Joshua sneaks into town as a spy, uh, kind of a stranger. Rahab welcomes him in. Rahab then becomes part of the people, but feels like a stranger. There's David who had to flee and go into the wilderness for a season of life. And then he had to go live with the Philistines for a season in his life. So King David knew what it was like to be a stranger. There are all the people who get exiled, Daniel, Esther, the whole people of Israel, and they are brought out of Israel and brought into a strange land. Then many, many years later, the exiles return, Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, they all come back home and yet they are the minority and they figure out that they don't belong anymore. They feel like strangers. Then they're the prophets, they just are strange, um, but, but definitely also feel like strangers as they do their job. You turn to the New Testament, Jesus had no place to, turn, to lay his head. Peter, Paul, John, the early Christians, they're all strangers to Rome and they travel all around also feeling like strangers. Almost everyone in the Scriptures have been a stranger. Which is why it must have made more sense to them, love the stranger because you know what it's like. Because you've been there. Because you have been the stranger. And don't just think this is an Old Testament thing. I don't want to go into too much detail because this is where we're heading over the next couple weeks, but three more passages from the, the New Testament I find helpful as well. Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in says Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, the author writes, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing I wonder if he's talking about Lot. Time and time and time again, throughout the scriptures, there's this echo of this theme, love the stranger because you have been the stranger. And let's go one extra step there because it's helpful to put this together with the, the kind of our long-time working definition of love that we've used many, many times over the course of many, many years now. Because, of course, love is, has nothing to do with feelings here. That's not... Have, have feelings for the random person who just walked in. That's not ever going to work. Instead, if you remember, we've ha- had this kind of working definition of love. Love is the God-inspired, committed choice to sacrifice for the good of someone else. The committed choice to sacrifice for the good of someone else. How can you love someone better, commit to sacrifice for their good? It's that easy. So when we're talking about loving the stranger, what we're talking about is making a committed choice to sacrifice for the good of the stranger. And before you just brush this off, as naive or simplistic or unrealistic. This seems to be the message all throughout the Bible, time and time and time again. This seems to be the story that the Bible is telling all throughout. And more importantly, this is precisely what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has loved us, the strangers, because he knows what it's like. before we can just say, that doesn't make any sense, it's too hard, that's a, an old-fashioned view, and this is a modern world, maybe we need to remember that this actually is our faith. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is how our faith is made manifest in the world. Love the stranger, because you have been the stranger. In other words... Love the person who doesn't look like you. Love the person who doesn't act like you. Love the person who doesn't belong. Love the person who doesn't deserve it. Love the person who's from somewhere else. Love the person who is hurting. Love the person who is needy. Love the person who is different. Love the person you don't know. And why? Because you at times have been, are, and will be the stranger. And why? Because you know what it's like to feel like a stranger. And why? Because you were a stranger and Jesus brought you in. And in bringing us in, He's changed us. In bringing us in, He's made us a new kind of people. In many ways, this is what it means to be a Christian. Strangers aren't a problem for someone else. This isn't something to take under advisement. This isn't something that's just a nice thought. This is what it means to follow. Which also means that all of us need to change our views of, thoughts, about, and responses to strangers. Because we are called to be the people who welcome the stranger, help the stranger, love the stranger. Love the strangers. sacrifice for their good. And again, this sounds crazy. I'm an introvert. I play one on TV, an extrovert on TV. But uh, I, but I'm actually an introvert. I don't like I don't like people. It's not about strangers. I don't like anyone. I don't I don't I don't, I don't want to interact with anyone else ever. So this is a terrible terrible series. I don't want to interact with another person if I don't have to. And yet it seems like what this Bible keeps saying over and over again is that whether I interact with them or not, I'm called to love the stranger. I'm called to love the person who I don't know. I'm called to love the person I don't like. I'm called to love the person who's not like me. I'm called to love the person who's different. I'm called to love the person who's on the other side. I'm called to love the stranger. And again, it sounds crazy. And yet think about Jesus. Isn't this precisely what he did? Isn't this precisely what he taught? Isn't this precisely why he died and rose again? Not because any of this is easy or comfortable or safe, but this is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus does. This is what he will continue to do. Jesus loves the stranger. And so in being a follower of Jesus, we have to find ways that we can love the stranger as well. Maybe we've been taught that all strangers are dangerous, and maybe some of them are. But maybe some of us need to unlearn some of that. Maybe Jesus is calling us to welcome those who are different and distant. Maybe Jesus is calling us to love even the stranger. And in doing so, maybe we become his stranger people. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we're not comfortable with strangers. We don't like strangers. We'd rather strangers stay where they are and be somewhere else. And therefore, it's challenging to hear that we are to also love strangers. Lord, it's easy for us to to draw lines and say, you're on this side and I'm on that side and and you stay there and I'll stay here. And yet you are a God who crosses those lines and, and says, welcome. You are a God who welcomes the stranger. Lord God, we live with a lot of fear. Fear of the stranger. And some of that is correct. Some of that's right. And some of it is too much. Because some of it keeps us from being the people you've called us to be. Because you've called us to make the choice to sacrifice for the good of even the stranger. Lord, that's hard. Lord, we don't know how to do that. Lord, that makes us uncomfortable. And and yet, Lord, we see Jesus doing that all throughout the scriptures. We hear the echo of this command all throughout the scriptures. And so we pray that you would help us. Help us this week and help us over the next couple of weeks as we dig deeper into the how. How do we welcome strangers? But help that begin even today in our hearts because we can start to make a choice to live differently. We can start to want the stranger's good, even before we actually act. And maybe that's where we need to start even today. Can I at least want the good of the person who's a stranger? Lord, help us. And Lord, we thank you that you have invited us in, even though we have been the stranger. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.